0: Hi. Can you hear this? Yes. Okay. Hello, friends. You are listening to season two, episode five of the Depth and Candor podcast. And I'm your host, Huate Gitana. If you're just tuning in for the first time, welcome. This podcast is all about sharing stories that help us live vibrant lives from the inside out. And today, we're doing something a little bit different. I'm talking to Nandini Banerjee about a topic I rarely explore, and that's music. When I think about some of my most vivid memories, there's almost always a soundtrack associated with it. And when I think about having a vibrant life, a big part of it is examining why I do what I do. And that's what Nandini specializes in. She's an ethnomusicology PhD student at Columbia University. And when we first met, I was so fascinated by her work and the fact that she gets to dissect music as a career. So on today's episode, she shares her story and encourages us to think about what we're consuming when we're listening to music. Okay, let's go to the show. I am so excited for today's podcast episode. I'm here with my friend Nandini, who is an ethnomusicologist. So if that's the first time you've heard that word, fear not, (laughs) because I definitely heard about it like a month ago, and I asked her all about it. So we're going to talk all about music, right, Nandini? Yep. So tell us, what is ethnomusicology? And then tell us what you study.
1: So ethnomusicology is the study of music in societies so basically um you know anthropology is it can be the study of many many different things in human being societies ethnomusicology is how music is deeply ingrained in human societies how did you get into this in the first place my whole life i've been into music, my whole family is very musical. My both of my parents sing. Um, I come from a West Bengali Indian family, and I don't know if this is a stereotype, but in general, Bengalis are very artistic. They're known to be poetic and musical, and you know, artsy. And my family is no exception. And so I've sort of been raised in a family where music has been a part of my everyday. Mm. Um, So ever since I was born, I was just surrounded by music. And like any good Indian girl, I started college by being a pre-med student. (laughs) Me too. And then uh, bombed badly in a lot of my uh, pre-med courses. Shout out to Organic Chemistry. (laughs) Yes. I think I got a D in bio, which is just, I don't know why I'm saying this publicly, but um, I had a very, very good advisor in undergrad. Um, He was incredible and really looked at my grades and looked at which classes I was doing really well in and which classes I wasn't. And he encouraged me to try out major classes in a different subject. He was like, "Nandini, you're doing really well in like sociology, this random elective that you took. You did really well in it, and it's not. It wasn't an easy class, quote unquote. So why don't you try sociology as like a class to take and mm-hmm. see if um, you do well in it? I really liked it." Um, Based on like my final paper that I did for that class, I don't really remember what it was on. He was like, why don't you try anthropology? Seems like you have a knack for that. It's like, okay. I loved anthropology and that's what I ended up majoring in. And then my last semester of undergrad, I took this class called the anthropology of music and art. It was just incredible to me that you could study music and you you could write about these questions that I would think about all the time by myself right like I would think about wow this is so great that we are s- let my my relatives sing these songs on their own and someone's crying in the background while listening to this song what's that about and I would just think about these things but the fact that you could that like thousands of people have done academic work on these questions and I could study that and make a career out of it was just wild to me.
0: So how has studying music affected your taste in music?
1: I think I'm I'm just more, um, I've learned to ask more questions, mm. which is, I think, so valuable. I've learned to not take anything for just face value. I'm not, like, annoying and and mm-hmm. questioning every little thing and making it into a whole... Like, deeper than it is. Than, than it needs to be, and yeah. everything's problematic all of a sudden. Not like that, but I have learned to ask questions and just be curious about, like, who's singing this, or where are they singing it, or, I don't know, who are they singing it for? Like, who's listening to mm. this? Is it how much of the audience um, is people like me rather than maybe people that come from other backgrounds or whatever it may be. I've just learned to ask a little bit Mm -hmm. more. Um,
0: In my head, mind you. You also ask really good questions. but you guys, I mean, anthropologists tend to ask very unique questions. So I have friends that are anthropologists that I'm always like, How did you think to ask that specific question? Do you think that's like an innate thing? Is it like a gut thing, or are you trained to ask certain kinds of good questions?
1: I think it's a combination of both. I think anthropologists, ethnomusicologists have an interest Mm -hmm. in people. Mm -hmm. So like that's why they're in this subject. They love people and they are curious about people, they're curious about themselves. Um, and that leads them to be really sort of inquisitive and and right. particular with what they're inquisitive about. Right, that makes sense.
0: And it, it probably depends a lot on your interest and who you are as a person, your own background. I think so. And and the
1: program also, I'm sure. I've mm-hmm. been, I think, subconsciously and slowly, I've been exposed to professors asking me really specific, particular questions or reading articles that answer questions that I'm like, whoa, I didn't even know you could ask that question. Right. But they've answered it. Right. And so being exposed to that has also, like, I think, subtly trained me.
0: So who are some of your favorite artists? I
1: love listening to Hindustani classical music. I love listening to Bengali music. My PhD work is on... Um Bengali music. Okay. Um, I love Whiz Kid and Tamaya <laughs> and Burnaboy and Same. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I was younger, I still listened to a lot of like hip hop and R and B and rap and I was like a huge Lil Wayne fan, a huge T I fan, like to the point where I think I was telling you, I used to wear rubber bands around my wrists when I was in high school because I was such a T.I. fan. How embarrassing. Why? I don't know. But
0: I used to. (laughs) So tell me, like, now looking back, can you be like, T.I.'s music is exceptional because... (laughs) Or Lil Wayne's music is great because... Listen, I can...
1: assure you that there are ethnomusicologists out there that are studying Lil Wayne NTI right. because trap music is something that's like big and there are so many questions to ask about every single genre of music. Now, I don't know if I ever asked these questions when I would wear these rubber bands around my wrists. <laughs> I literally just listened to his music and I was like, yeah, yeah, this is great. I relate. I re- yeah, it's like really speaking to me deep, <laughs> deep level. Um, but I admittedly don't listen to T.I. and Lil Wayne as much as I used to. I don't know. I think I just sort of grew, out of, grew it. out of it.
0: I mean, I used to listen to a lot more Lil Wayne than I do now. He also just puts out less music. Right. So that could very well be it. Mm-hmm. But there are people who still put out less music and I still go back and like listen to their stuff over and over again. Mm-hmm. Jay-Z being one of them, mm-hmm. why do you think artists like Jay-Z are as big as they are? Like, why is their music so deeply in- ingrained in mainstream music now and mainstream society now? And, like, it's, it's synonymous with hip-hop, right? When, if you ask someone that knows nothing about hip-hop and you mm-hmm. say Jay-Z, they'll immediately think hip-hop. Why, like, what is that about?
1: In terms of like Jay-Z and Beyonce, you know, both of them, and I can relate this to other artists that I listen to, it's not just the music that I think makes a fan base. It's memories attached to the music. It's what clothes they wear. It's like what politics they identify with it's what and especially in this day and age where it's you're not just listening to somebody you're following them on instagram you're following them on twitter you're always looking at like what little outfit like blue ivy's wearing so like you see everything that has to do with this person Mm. um and then there's like this nostalgia that like whoa jay-z and beyonce are this now but i've known them back when they were that right and so being part of that transition I think also has a lot to do with a fan base that totally makes sense. sedimenting a fan base
0: yeah and this is actually the real reason why I like both of them (laughs) is that they represent a certain kind of work ethic that I really um respect and admire so the music kind of comes second for me And the reason I wanted to talk to you about music is because I would never claim to be a music head. But when you were telling me about ethnomusicology and studying cultures and music, I was like, oh, that is totally fascinating to me. Like, why do I like the music I like today? And I didn't like it a year ago or 10 years ago or whatever. Mm -hmm. But also when you mentioned memories and music, that prompted... A question for me about music therapy. What exactly is music therapy? Is it the same thing as when I feel down and I'm like listening to music in my apartment to feel better? Or is it deeper than that?
1: Music therapy can be anything in that spectrum. It can be exactly what you're saying. You're feeling you had a bad day. You come back and you listen to like this one song that you just love so much. You know, every single word to it, you listen to it every day and it just brings you back to that like space of comfort and coziness and safety and protectedness mm. you, it could that could be music therapy or it can be um, what's that film about the Alzheimer's patients who listen to music from their childhood and they have they have been mute for years and years but after listening to these songs on headphones they start tapping their fingers and they start moving along or even like mouthing the words silently mm. it could be to that. Or it can be even more scientific, which I don't really know about. But I don't think music therapy has any specific definition. Therapy is everything. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very personal.
0: Yeah. Um, It's kind of insane. I will go through times where, you know, I'm feeling great and I will have heard a song over and over again without really thinking about it. And there will come a time when maybe I'm not feeling so great. And when that song comes on, it's insane how much that changes my mood Mm -hmm. so i've always really wondered about the deeper kinds of music therapy that have helped people in traumatic situations alzheimer's patients Mm -hmm. etc so what would you say what kind of advice would you give to someone who's interested in ethnomusicology either as uh, an actual like career path or if we're just interested in learning more about the music we listen to i think if you're interested in it
1: as a career path it could ethnomusicology can lead to many different careers. First of all, it could lead to what I'm doing, which is teaching it in academia. Um, that, I think, be prepared to read a lot and write a lot and put in like hard work. But if, you, if your interests bring you into this field, rather than, oh, I want to be a professor, what can I get a degree in? Let me just jump into something. That is much more difficult than your passion bringing you into a subject. Because now I'm writing my dissertation and I'm excited about it. It's really hard work and it's, I get writer's block more often than not. But it's so cool that I am able to read books and write about songs that I have listened to since I was born. If you are, and back to your question, if you are just interested in ethnomusicology that can be seen in so many different ways, like you can watch documentaries that are really interesting and really like, they open your mind.
0: So what kinds of documentaries would you recommend I watch? Because I'm gonna do this today.
1: Yeah, you should watch Alive Inside. It is about music therapy and um, about Alzheimer's patients and how music from these Alzheimer patients' childhoods have brought something alive inside of them that has been not that has been like sleeping or mm-hmm. I don't want to say dead but has just sort of been at least dormant dormant. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in ethnomusicology or the effects of music in society. Whatever you listen to, listen to it with an inquisitive mind. Like, pay attention to the music that's going on in the background. Um, Why is there, like, Chinese music in the background of anything that's remotely Asian? Why is there an Arabian Nights theme in the background of anything that has anything to do with like West Asia or the Middle East or North Africa. Why? Because there are so many questions to ask, and if you watch everything with an inquisitive mind, even if you watch movies, I would highly recommend watching like foreign films that you don't know the language of, and maybe they don't have subtitles, but you're listening to the music and you're able to sort of feel what the director is mm-hmm. meaning for you to feel mm-hmm. because of the music.
0: What do I do to figure out what the why is there silence in this part? Of I would movie? Google Scholar it. I
1: would go to Google Scholar okay. and I would type in keywords silence in films and there will be thousands of articles that come up. You just
0: made me so much smarter. <laughs>
1: I love Google Scholar. I use JSTOR and all of these things too, but Google Scholar is like so many different
0: resources packed into one. Oh, you know, when you said you were excited about your dissertation, mm-hmm. that was something I've never heard <laughs> anyone else say. <laughs> really? Ever. Really. And like, Maybe I'm I, not that far along yet, so I'm,
1: I won't be in like a year.
0: <laughs> well, no, I think that you have a very different approach to maybe a lot of the PhD students that I've interacted with where mm-hmm. it's like, can't wait for this thing to be over. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you said this actually about your passion leading the way. Mm-hmm. Do you, you know, we hear all the time. There are thousands of articles in, on the internet right now about following your passion, mm-hmm. but it sounds like you started on a totally different path. Mm-hmm. Someone redirected you and you listened. Were you afraid when you were switching paths or were you like, Nope, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And you moved with ease. Cause I, That's a place where I've struggled, where I was like, I know I don't want to be pre-med, but I'm not really sure what I want to be. So then I just stuck through that. Talk to us about that.
1: I um, have a very, very supportive family, um, and that has really given me so much strength in my life. Both of my parents are PhDs, and they have gone through this. Admittedly, I'm from... I come from parents that are always like, we got you. Like, don't worry about it. Like, do exactly what you want to do. Don't always worry about, like, making money or, like, doing a thing. And a lot of people don't have that freedom. Mm -hmm. And that's completely real. Mm -hmm. And that is many, many people's reality. And so this sort of, like, following your passion thing right off the bat is much easier said than done, and I really see that. For example, my father, like, he was a science... He was a biologist, and when he was younger, he had to support his family, and so he had to make money, and so he went into that field. But he's always been a humanities student, like in his heart, and he was never happy with what he did. Hmm. And so, at age forty, he went back to school and got a degree in journalism. And now he's like an he's an activist, and he works for Local Three Labor oh Union, and it's just like doing his thing but he's been able to do that because my mom was also working full time and he's had that economic stability and sort of just like stability in all aspects of his life in order to pursue his passion I was sort of blessed with that from the get-go which many many people are not um so I think if you if you If you know what you're doing now is not your passion, but you have to do it for one reason or another, for maybe letting yourself down or letting your parents down or money or um, just like, I started it so I'm gonna finish it. Like anything like that, you have to do what you have to do. But I think it's really important to not lose that part of your brain and your heart because Like, you can always go back to that once you are good. (laughs) Like, once you're set.
0: So not, like, repressing that side of you just because you can't do it right now. Yeah, That's such good advice. What can the Depth and Candor community do to support you? I don't
1: know to support me in particular, but to support what I do, um, I think we can encourage ourselves and our loved ones and people that are around us that are interested in music we can encourage everyone and urge everyone to ask these questions and be inquisitive about genres
0: it, it almost sounds like you're saying the from everything you've said the importance of asking these questions is that you get to understand yourself and society and history a mm-hmm. little bit better mm-hmm. is that correct absolutely okay Thank you so so much for being on the show. You are amazing. Thank you, you for amazing. having me. Oh, yes. you are. <laughs> <laughs> this is so much fun.
1: Good. I'm glad you.
0: And there it is. Yes, that was such a fun interview to record. I guess I always say that, but it's because it's true. My three biggest takeaways from this episode were, number one, stay curious and ask good questions because that allows us to understand ourselves and the societies we live in a little bit better. Number two, the reminder that if you can't follow your passion now, do what you have to do, but don't let go of the dream. And number three, Understanding how our favorite musicians have created such large fan bases can teach us how to connect well with others as we build out our own dreams and our own ideas. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you got as much out of this as I did. Everything we talked about today is in the show notes, which you can access by clicking on the image on this podcast. If you like this episode, subscribe on iTunes and please rate the show. And if you want more than just the podcast, go to depthandcandor.com and join the insiders list so you can get invitations to in person events, new videos, and personal life lessons. And if you want to keep up with me as I try to live my best life, follow me on Instagram at H I W O T E underscore G. Okay, back to you next week.
1: Everywhere you study, just a uh-huh. girls, them, and <laughs> in my homies, and my jump on. The girls, everybody, them, I twist <laughs>